Okay, good evening, everybody. Uh, this evening, the uh, subject that I'll be speaking about is about the Trinity. Um, the Trinity is kind of a difficult concept for a lot of people to get a grasp of because it's hard to think of three different persons in one entity or uh, essence, if you will. Um, some people say, well, how can that be? Um, but it's there's a lot of things about God that we don't understand because he's God. Um, and some people, I don't know why, they try and change things about uh, the Lord because they don't understand them. They try and make them more understandable to other men and this and that and the other thing, but sometimes you just have to think to yourself um, that he's God and I'm not going to be able to understand all of the things that he does or how he is and all of his wonderful powers and just the many things of the Lord. The doctrine of the Trinity is the foundational is foundational to Christian faith. It is crucial for properly understanding what God is like and how he relates to us and how we should relate to him. But it also raises many difficult questions. How can God be both one and three? Is the Trinity a contradiction? If Jesus is God, why do the Gospels record instances where he prayed to God? While we cannot fully understand everything about the Trinity or anything else, it is possible to answer questions like these and come to a solid grasp of what it means for God to be three and one. What does it mean <clears throat> that God is a Trinity? The doctrine of the Trinity means that there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Stated differently, God is one in essence and three in person. These definitions express three crucial truths. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct person, persons. Each person is fully God, and there is only one God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. The Bible speaks of the Father as God, Jesus as God, and the Holy Spirit as God. Are these just three different ways of looking at God or simply ways of referring to three different roles that God plays? The answer must be no, because the Bible also indicates that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons. For example, since the Father sent the Son into the world in John 3.16, he cannot be the same person as the Son. Likewise, after the Son returned to the Father in John 16.10, the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit into the world in John 14, uh, verse 26, and Acts 2, verse 33. Therefore, the Holy Spirit must be distinct from the Father and the Son. In the baptism of Jesus, we see the Father speaking from heaven and the Spirit descending from heaven in the form of a dove as Jesus comes out of the water in Mark 1, verses 10 and 11. Now, in John, in John verses 1 and 2, if you read along with me, this reads, 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. It is affirmed that Jesus is God, and at the same time that he was with God, thereby indicating that Jesus is a distinct person from God the Father. <clears throat> And in John 16, 13 through 15, we see that there is also a close unity between them all. The Holy Spirit is also distinct from the Father and the Son. The fact that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct persons means, in other words, that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Jesus is God, but he is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, but he is not the Son or the Father. They are different persons, not, diff not three different ways of looking at God. The personhood of each member of the Trinity means that each person has a distinct center of consciousness. Thus, they relate to each other personally. The Father regards himself as I, while he regards the Son and Holy Spirit as you. Likewise, the Son regards himself as I, but the Father and the Holy Spirit as you. Often it is objected that if Jesus is God, then he must have prayed to himself while he was on earth. But the answer to this objection lies in simply applying that we have our applying what we have already seen. While Jesus and the Father are both God, they are different persons. Thus, Jesus prayed to God the Father without praying to himself. In fact, it is precisely the continuing dialogue between the Father and the Son, like we see in Matthew verse 3, or, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 17, in which we read, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, which furnishes the best evidence that they are distinct persons with distinct centers of consciousness. Sometimes the personhood of the Father and Son is appreciated, but the personhood of the Holy Spirit is neglected. Sometimes the Spirit is treated more like a force than a person, but the Holy Spirit is not and is not an it, but a he. In John 14, verse 26, there we read these words. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, that's obviously is Jesus speaking, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. The fact that the Holy Spirit is a person, not an impersonal force like gravity, it is <clears throat> also shown by the fact that he speaks, reasons, thinks, and understands, wills, feels, and gives personal fellowship. These are all qualities of personhood. In addition to these texts, the others we mentioned above make clear that the personhood of the Holy Spirit is distinct from the personhood of the Son and the Father. 
They are three real persons, not three roles that God plays. Another serious error people have made is to think that the Father became the Son, who then became the Holy Spirit. Contrary to this, the passages we have seen imply that God always was and always will be three persons. There was never a time when one of the persons of the Godhead did not exist. They are all eternal. While three members of the Trinity are distinct, this does not mean that any is inferior to the other. Instead, they are all identical in attributes. They are equal in power, love, mercy, justice, holiness, knowledge, and all other qualities. Each person is fully God. If God is three persons, does this mean that each person is one-third of God? Does the Trinity mean that God is divided into three parts? The Trinity does not divide God into three parts. The Bible is clear that all three persons are each 100% God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are fully God. For example, it says of Christ in Colossians uh, chapter 2, verse 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We should not think of God like a, as like a pie cut into three pieces, each piece representing a person. This would make each person less than fully God and thus not God at all. Rather, the being of each person is equal to the whole being of God. <clears throat> the divine essence is not something that is divided between the three persons, but is fully in all three persons without being divided into parts. Thus, the Son is not one-third of the being of God. He is all the being of God. The Father is not one-third of of the being of God, he is all the being of God, and likewise with the Holy Spirit. Thus, when we speak of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together, we are not speaking of any greater being than when we speak of the Father alone, the Son alone, or the Holy Spirit alone. This may seem confusing to most people because they cannot fathom how there can be three beings in one. But man often struggles with understanding the things of God. Perhaps that is why man changes things in the Bible or even why some religions have a Bible that they hold over the truth of God's word. Excuse me. <clears throat> there is only one God. Each person of the Trinity is distinct and yet fully God. Then should we conclude that there is more than one God? Obviously, we cannot, for Scripture is clear that there is only one God. Such as in Isaiah, uh, thank you, Wade, um, chapter 45 and verse 22. 
Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Having seen that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons, that they are each fully God, and that there is nonetheless only one God, we must conclude that all three persons are the same God. In other words, there is one God who exists as three distinct persons. If there is one passage which mostly clearly brings all of this together, it is Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. First notice that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinguished as distinct persons. We baptize into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Second, notice that each person must be deity because they are all placed on the same level. In fact, would Jesus have us baptize in the name of a mere creature? Surely not. Therefore, each of the person in whose name we are to be baptized must be deity. Third, notice that all Though the three divine persons are distinct, we are baptized into their name singular, not their names plural. The three persons are distinct, yet constitute one name. This can only be if they share one essence. <clears throat> Is the Trinity contradictory? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> This leads us to investigate more closely a very helpful definition of the Trinity, which I mentioned earlier. God is one in essence, but three in person. This formulation can show us why there are not three gods and why the Trinity is not a contradiction. In order for something to be contradictory, it must violate the law of non-contradiction. This law states that A cannot be both A, what it is, and non-A, what it is not, at the same time and in the same relationship. In other words, you have contradicted yourself if you affirm and deny the same statement. For example, if I say that the moon is made entirely of cheese, but then also say that the moon is not made entirely of cheese, I have contradicted myself. Other statements may at first seem contradictory, but are really not. Theologian R.C. Sproul cites as an example Dickens' famous line, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Obviously, this is a contradiction if Dickens means that it was the best of times in the same way that it was the worst of times. But he avoids contradictions with this statement because he means that in one sense, it was the best of times, but in another sense, it was the worst of times. Carrying this concept over to the Trinity, it is not a contradiction for God to be both three and one because he is not three and one in the same way. He is three in a different way than he is one. Thus, we are not speaking with a forked tongue. We are not saying that God is one and then denying that he is one by saying that he is three. This is very important. God is one and three at the same time, 
but not the same way. If some people were hearing this, their heads would be exploding at this point. Uh, <laughs> but like I said, we can't possibly think we can understand all of the things of God. He's, he's God. He's mysterious. How is God one? He is one in essence. How is God three? He is three in person. Essence and person are not the same thing. God is one in a certain way, essence, and three, thank you, in the same way that he is one. So a closer look at the fact that God is one in essence but three in person has helped to show why the Trinity is not a contradiction. But how does it show us why there is only one God instead of three? It is very simple. All three persons are one God because, as we saw above, they are all the same essence. Essence means the same thing as being. Thus, since God is only one essence, he is only one being, not three. This should make it clear why it is so important to understand that all three persons are the same essence. For if we deny this, we have denied God's unity and affirmed that there is more than one being of God, i.e. that there is more than one God. What we have seen so far provides a good basic understanding of the Trinity, but it is possible to go deeper. If we can understand more precisely what it is meant by essence and persons, how these two terms differ and how they relate, we will then have a more complete understanding of the Trinity. Oops, I might have double-clicked that. Uh, essence and person. Essence. What does essence mean? As I said earlier, it means the same thing as being. God's essence is his being. To be even more precise, essence is what you are. At the risk of sounding too physical, esque Essence can be understood as the stuff that you consist of. Of course, we are speaking by analogy here, for we cannot understand this in a physical way about God. God is spirit, as it says in John 4.24, where it says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Further, we clearly should not think of God as consisting of anything other than divinity. The substance of God is God, not a bunch of ingredients that taken together yield deity. Next is person. In regard to the Trinity, we use the term person differently than we generally use it in everyday life. Therefore, it is often difficult to have a concrete definition of person as we use it in regards to the Trinity. What we do not mean by person is an independent individual in the sense that both I and another human are separate, independent individuals who can exist apart from one another. What we do mean by person is something that regards himself as I and others as you. So the father, for example, is a different person from the son because he regards the son as you, even though he regards himself as I. 
Thus, in regards to the Trinity, we can say that person means a distinct subject which regards himself as an I and the other two as a you. The distinct subjects are not a division within the being of God, but a form of personal existence other than a difference in being. How do they relate? <clears throat> the relationship between essence and person then is as follows. Within God's one undivided being is an unfolding into three personal distinctions. The personal distinctions are modes of existence within the divine being, but there are not divisions of the divine being. They are personal forms of existence other than a difference in being. The late theologian Herman Bavinick has stated something very helpful at this point. The persons are modes of existence within the being accordingly. The persons differ among themselves as the one mode of existence differs from the other and using a common illustration as the open palm differs from a closed fist. Because each of these forms of existence are relational and thus are persons, they are each a distinct center of consciousness each, with each center of consciousness regarding himself as I and the others as you. Nonetheless, these three persons all consist of the same stuff, that is, the same what or essence. As theologian and apologist Norman Giesler has explained it, while essence is what you are, person is who you are. So God is one one what, but with three who's. The divine essence is thus not something that exists above or separate uh, from the three persons, but the divine essence is the being of three persons. Neither should we think of the persons as being defined as attributes added on to the being of God. Wayne Grudem explains but if each person is fully God and has all of God's being, then we also should not think that the personal distinctions are any kind of additional attributes added onto the being of God. Rather, each person of the Trinity has all of the attributes of God, and no one person has any attributes that are not possessed by the others. On the other hand, we must say that the persons are real, that they are not different ways of looking at one being of God. The only way it seems possible to do this is to say that the distinction between the persons is not a difference of being, but a difference of relationships. This is something far removed from our human experience, where every different human person is a different being as well. Somehow God's being is so much greater than ours that within this one undivided being, there can be an unfolding into interpersonal relationships so that there can be three distinct persons. Trinitarian illustrations. There are many illustrations which have been offered to help us understand the Trinity. 
While there are some illustrations which are helpful, we should recognize that no illustration is perfect. Unfortunately, there are many illustrations which are not simply imperfect, but in error. One illustration to beware of is the one that says, I am one person, but I am a student, son, and brother. This explains how God can be both one and three. But the problem with this is that it reflects a heresy called modalism. God is not one person who plays three different roles, as this illustration suggests. He is one being in three persons, or centers of consciousness, not merely three roles. This analogy ignores the personal distinctions within God and mitigates them to mere roles. In summary, let us quickly review what we have seen. The Trinity is not belief in three gods. There is only one God, and we must never stray from this. There is one God exists, or excuse me, this one God exists as three persons. The three persons are not each part of God, but are each fully God and equally God. Within God, one's undivided being, there is an unfolding into three interpersonal relationships such that there are three persons. The distinctions within the Godhead are not distinctions of his essence, and neither are they something added on to his essence, but they are the unfolding of God's one, undivided being into three interpersonal relationships such that there are three real persons." God is not one person who took three consecutive roles. That is the heresy of modalism. The Father did not become the Son and then the Holy Spirit. Instead, there have always been and always will be three distinct persons in the Godhead. The Trinity is not a contradiction because God is not three in the same way that he is one. God is one in essence and three in person. Application. The Trinity is first of all important because God is important. To understand more fully what God is like in a way of, is a way of honoring God. Further, we should allow the fact that God is triune to deepen our worship. We exist to worship God. And God seeks people to worship him in spirit and in truth, as I read before in John 4, 24. Therefore, we must always endeavor to deepen our worship of God in truth as well as in our hearts. The Trinity has a very distinct, excuse me, the Trinity has a very significant application to prayer. The general pattern of prayer in the Bible is to pray to the Father through the Son and in the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, which says, For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Our fellowship with God should be enhanced by consciously knowing that we are relating to a tri-personal God. Awareness of the distinct role that each person of the Trinity has in our salvation can especially serve to give us greater comfort and 
and appreciation for God in our prayers, as well as helping us to be specific in directing our prayers. Nonetheless, while recognizing the distinct roles that each person has, we should never think of their roles as so separate that the other persons are not involved. Rather, everything that one person is involved in, the other two are also involved in one way or another. Boy, that can be very confusing. But like I said at the beginning, um, we can't possibly think we can understand all of the things of our God. Uh, People say that he is mysterious, and he is. Um, We can't understand God probably because how could we understand a lot of people, uh, let's take, um, for example, um, Darwinism, okay? People can't fathom that a being such as God can think into existence this big, huge universe that we live in with galaxies and stars and many wonders and uh, specific things. There's so many things, billions of stars, um, planets, uh, different uh, galaxies that have planets. Um, Our world in itself is a universe unto itself. I mean, you have you have the oceans and their life that they contain. You have the land and the uh, beings that they contain. Um, and I was thinking, um, somebody had said, I think it was Wade, that had said something about um, it's impossible for, let's say, a creature is in the ocean, okay? So, and ocean creatures mainly lay eggs. So you have, say you have this creature comes crawling out of the ocean, okay? And it lays eggs, okay? Now there's, we all know that there are, I think I learned in grade school, there are six different uh, types of animals uh, on the planet. You have the insects, you have uh, mammals, you have um, reptiles, you have amphibians, and uh, then you, maybe there aren't that many, but anyway, right, birds. I think they're considered reptiles, though, because they lay eggs, but anyway, um, there are groups of different things. How could something that came out of the ocean and lays eggs all of a sudden become an air-breathing mammal that gives birth to a living being as opposed to laying an egg, um, and so on and so forth. It just doesn't make any sense. How could one thing, I can understand how molecules can split off into other molecules possibly, but how can one thing that is a reptile split off and become a mammal? or a mammal split off and become an amphibian, or vice versa. It's impossible. I think that's why people try and say, well, I don't understand all of this God stuff, so I'll just make up something else. You know, and, and then, oh, look, I'm Dar- over Darwin, wasn't he so smart? Well, maybe not, because if you try and, th- if you think about it, really, it's got to be impossible. God would be able to do these things. He would be able to make 
reptiles, different beings, mammals, and all of that stuff. He could simply think it into existence as his word, the truth, tells us. It's just, I don't think people can understand it. Therefore, they, eh, I don't want anything to do with that God stuff. So I think that because they can't understand it, they maybe think they have to dream up something else. Uh, just like um, the, I was kind of surprised when I first started learning things here about different religions having their own Bible over the Holy Bible itself. Uh, for instance, uh, Tracy had told me, being from Salt Lake City, she knew a lot about Mormons, uh, and she knew about the Book of Mormon, which they read from more than they read from the Bible, because they, somebody, I think, John, is it John Smith? Joseph. Joseph Smith had a vision and saying that God told him that he was to um, bring together all of this, this new religion and to find a place where they were going to call home. Anyway, um, and then also I think the, who is it that doesn't believe in the Trinity? Is it the Jehovah's Witnesses? That's right. Um, but it clearly says in the Bible that there are three in one uh, essence or one Godhead, um, as I read and uh, Brother Wade read. So I think that it's because man can't understand all of these things that he has to make up something that he can wrap his head around, which um, we don't have very big heads uh, to wrap around some of the things that we create. Just like um, I don't think that um, we can do anything that is not in God's will. It says in the Bible that uh, the world is going to be around for another thousand or two years. Therefore, I don't think that we will be able to uh, pollute our planet to the point where uh, all of a sudden it's going to be so hot we can't live here anymore and that we all die off because it's not in God's will. It doesn't say that. It's not scriptural. That's one thing Danny said to me. I asked him something about heaven once. I said, um, do you believe that one man's heaven is another man's hell, which I've seen on TV a few times, which you can't believe everything is anything you see on TV, actually. But um, he said, you have to ask yourself when you hear things about heaven or things about God, is it scriptural? So if you have any questions about something, consult God's word. And if it's in there, then it's truth. If it's not in there, then more than likely, or actually it would not be truth. Uh, because God, as I told you in one of my other sermons, cannot lie. Therefore, his word is his truth. It is the truth, absolute truth. So anyway, um, that's uh, pretty much all I have for you. Um, it's funny how people try and uh, think of these different things. Oh, I know what I was going to say about the uh, global warming and such. I heard the other day, uh, it was the warmest September, think about this, the warmest September they've, we've ever on record since 1850. Okay. Now, all of our global warming is supposed to be caused by... Um, the um, industry, industrialization, 
What industrialization did they have in 1850? It was 70 years away before, uh, I believe, Henry Ford even came up with um, the uh, assembly line, which was the beginning of industrialization. And that's when machines really started to take off because we had machines making machines. And then those machines ran on gas or were powered by coal or what have you. And that's when we started polluting our air. Another thing is, why do we think as Americans that, okay, we're going to all of our states by 2050, we're going to be completely, um, what do they call it? Um, uh, we're not going to be any emissions, emission free. We won't have any emissions. Go what good is it going to do when China and India, have you seen these places in the summertime? You, I wouldn't be able to see this front pew from where I'm standing in the dead of summer because of the smog that they have. So why do we think that our little country, have you seen the size of our country is this big compared to China, which is that big? They cover nine time zones, something like that. So all of the smog that they're putting out and India combined is well going to overpower what we could possibly do. So it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's futile. Yeah. It's really futile. And I really, I don't worry about it anymore because God says we're going to, the earth's going to be around for a few more thousand years. Jesus is going to come back. There, yeah, there's going to be wars and there's going to be uh, things like that. But if God says the world is going to be around for a few thousand more years or maybe even just a thousand more years, that's well past 2050 when they think that the world is going to hit the tipping point and everything's going to uh, go to pot, if you will. But um, God doesn't say it, so I'm not going to worry about it. Um, like I said, man, I think uh, some people are just coming up with these things so that they can make money because man is greedy and, you know, he only considers himself for the most part. So anyway, that's all I have for you. Um, I hope it was educational and informational. I see nobody's heads exploded or anything like that. It is kind of hard to wrap your head around when you're talking about essence and person. But like I said, it's the things of God. We can't expect to fully understand everything about God. Uh, perhaps when we pass on and we're with uh, Jesus and the Father in heaven, then we'll fully understand and we'll be enlightened and we'll say, oh, now I see. So anyway, uh, Brother Wade, would you uh, lead us in our closing prayer, please? Dear Heavenly Father, again we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are God, that you are the being that you are. Thank you that you sent your Son into this world to take the penalty for our sins. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that brought this information to us and made us part of your forever family. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are indeed God. And Amen. You speak the truth. We may not understand, but we can believe what you have given us. And we know that it is true. Heavenly Father, be with us as we go from here. 
bring us back to the next appointed time, and I pray that all that we say and do will bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Wayne.